Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Catherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I have a mentor, friend, barely say colleague, still learning so much from the wonderful Denzel Brown, who is, check this out, a CPO, CPO, CD, ICD master trainer, and MCC. You'll understand all this as I read your bio. After 20 years as a professional organizer working on-site in homes, home offices, and businesses, Denslow went on a search for a method to support the belief and behavior changes her clients desired, not just changes to their environments. She found the answer in coaching, eventually earning a master certified coach credential from the International Coaching Federation, ICF. She became a coach for adults with ADHD and a mentor coach for professionals in the fields her work intersects with, which are organizing productivity, ADHD, and coaching. In 2006, she founded Coach Approach Training slash Institute for Applied Coaching to train and develop coaching expertise in professionals whose expertise is in ADHD, productivity, and or organizing. CATIAC is an ICF-accredited coach training program offering eight coaching credentials. So welcome, Denzel. I am so excited you are here. Thank you. So sweet of you to ask me. Oh, my pleasure. So I met Denslow through Coach Approach. I think I approached you in spring of 2020, just as the pandemic hit, to do my coach training. I had already trained under Barbara Hemphill in Certified Productive Environment Specialization and wanted to continue on. What I was finding was I was doing a lot of consulting in the world of productivity. And by the way, that was an offshoot of design, not organizing. So I came from a sort of different track. and then. Uh, approach you regarding coaching and you ran that special coach essentials that summer. So I have been deep in the throes <laughs> or something of coach approach training yeah. pretty much nonstop since June of 2020. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear more about why you created coach approach. Sure. I'm happy to. So I started organizing, which is to say working on site with people in home offices or small businesses or homes, helping them declutter and then set up systems to get organized. And I had been doing it, you know, for 20 years or whatever and felt badly when people 
weren't able to maintain the systems we set up together. And I had a, just a terrible experience leaving a client one day who I liked very much. We were, we sort of became close and she hugged me goodbye and gave me this big check. And I drove away and I, I just thought, this is, there's something wrong here. I'm advertising, you know, get organized. It'll change your life. And I felt like I should put an asterisk by it and say, you know, for six months or maybe three months or maybe, you know, six weeks if you're lucky or whatever. And so I just kept thinking there's something else besides being an organized person and helpful to other people and willing to do all that that I need. And I looked a long time, but I found coaching and I think it answers this need to help people design systems themselves, be more invested in the changes they make and to build habits. And coaching allows that kind of ongoing process that really helps people move deeply into those things. I agree. And interestingly enough, I have a client now who we didn't even do the organization of her home office until we'd coached together for several months Mm -hmm. because she had other things that she had to work through first that were just urgent. And I went out a couple of weeks ago and helped her organize her home office. And she's in her home office. Every time I see her on video, she's in her home (laughs) office. I feel just like so happy. It's not done. It's not complete, Mm -hmm. but it's in process. And it's no longer um, terrifying for her. And she lost her spouse. So there are a lot of papers around that. And if we didn't already have that coaching relationship, she probably wouldn't have been as comfortable with me going through and finding letters, like things that were really emotionally difficult. They were charged for her. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that's where coaching can help in one aspect is that mm-hmm. helping uh, feel get that feeling of safety and holding a space for clients. Mm-hmm. And then now helping her create the systems over time so mm-hmm. that it doesn't mm-hmm. get like it was. Yeah, exactly. And w- one of the things that I think is so interesting or that I find interesting because that's why I'm doing it about organizing and productivity and coaching is that kind of what you're talking about, that people reach out for help. But when you have both skill sets, you can consider and offer the client the choice of where do you want to start? Do you want to start by getting grounded and connected and clarity about your goals or about the the sort of uh, scope of the project? Or do you need to make you know, sort of changes on the physical level or strategy level right away. And that ability to move back and forth between coaching and this on-site or by phone, whatever service, the this consulting work on productivity and organizing is great because when clients think, I need to get organized or I need to be more productive, there's an opening for change underneath that, right, that we are, we're looking for. And that's that's what can build a real change. And that's really exciting to do. Yeah. I love that part. I do too. And I'll use her as an example again, to go into our next topic, which is this idea of neurodiversity. So she has ADHD and we're working on essential structures together, which is the foundation and core of so much of what Mm -hmm. you train us in coach approach. Mm -hmm. And this home office, she didn't realize like that is an essential structure for her is to have a place where she can work. It's not enough to stand at the kitchen or sit at the kitchen table or mm-hmm. you know, constantly have this albatross of a home office not ready for her mm-hmm. to support her in her work. What's so interesting at the same time is she's thinking about retiring and she just <laughs> can't decide. And so now she's got a space in which to decide. Yeah, and the challenges with paperwork don't have to be 
a primary factor in that decision, which is sort of uh, unfortunate if it does. So that's great, Catherine. Really nice. So it's really exciting. So I am doing the neurodiversity coaching certification. I would like to think in my wee little mind that I had something to do with you all deciding to create it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I think there were a whole bunch of us who came in at Mm -hmm. the same time and said, Mm -hmm. we're really interested in neurodiversity. We're really interested in ADHD, traumatic brain injury, et cetera. And it is ADHD Awareness Month. So I'd love for you to talk some about, uh, and actually, I know nothing about this. How did you decide what to include in our neurodiversity certification? Because it's fun. I'm loving it. A lot of things went into it, including some of the factors that are, are, you know, that were true for you. One was that my training as a coach, even though I was an organizer, a started as an organizer and wanted to stay connected to that, my training was primarily an ADHD coach training. And then I went on to get more generic coach training, but I, I was committed to doing, working with those clients, with clients with ADHD. And I really wanted that training. And so then the training I created for organizing I didn't feel I could lead saying, you know, ADHD coach approach or whatever training, because many organizers don't think they work with people with ADD. And what we know is that 80% of the adults with ADD are undiagnosed. So they don't know that that's what they're struggling with. And they have, you know, they naturally, some of them surely are thinking, I need help getting organized or I need help being more productive in their ignorance of what's going on in their brain. And, and so we tell students from you know class one, this is what this is, but it's great coaching. ADHD approaches in coaching are great for people who are very stressed, which is another part of the population. And then the other thing we know is that 60, maybe 75% of the adults with ADD have some other brain-based condition as well, depression, anxiety, or whatever else, but those are quite common. And so we, of course, had to then educate beyond about ADD. And so we, you know, we did that. And, and we also limited the training to people with, uh, who were organizers and who actually were experienced organizers in the beginning. And then we realized people who were new organizers or productivity consultants could benefit from it. You know, it, as long as they understood, we weren't teaching those things, we were teaching coaching. And then we started being contacted by people outside those fields, educational psychologists and ADHD coaches or, or people who tended to be. And so we opened up the doors a little bit more, although we don't actively advertise or promote over there. And, and so then the credentials we had were like certified ADHD organizer coach and things like that. And it wasn't really logical to give, you know, that isn't a good credential for someone who has no background in organizing. And so this sort of kept pushing us to think what could we do, right, that would not require the organizing or productivity pieces. Of course, you have that, but the productivity part, but a straight up ADD credential. And so then we went to neurodiversity because of these comorbid conditions and, and the, frankly, the new attention on the autism spectrum, clients with on that spectrum, which was not my specialty, but we had a student go through who was, uh, that was her work in the world. And she wants to create coaching for that within our program. So, so that's how we got there. I don't know if it's a long answer, but that's how we got there. That's right. I liked the long answer. It was great. <laughs> I find I actually am really enjoying it. And, and as you know, and maybe many of my listeners don't know, I actually have four. So I have ADHD. I've forgotten what the word is for high intelligence. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thereby gifted showing mostly. Say it again. Is it gifted high gifted, intelligence? Yes, gifted. So yeah. twice exceptional, mm-hmm. except I'm kind of like quadruple exceptional because I've uh-huh. also dealt with anxiety and depression. So, and I, I can see how the anxiety and depression were very strongly comorbidities with, right, exactly. I hate that word, by the way, with, um, the coexisting, right? Yeah. Coexisting is way better. Comorbidities sound like I'm going to die. I'm not going to die. I know. I I, I'm not intending on it. At least it's not. <laughs> <intense>. <laughs> I no have a plans. few things I have left to do, so mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to get rushed into that. So it's been very interesting to see how the brain works, and actually, this again morphs right into the next topic, which is about women, because what happened for me, and how I found out I ever had ADHD is like I kind of skated through life on my intelligence. So I had, was like a B, B plus student. In retrospect, I could have been an A student, truly. I mean, and then, and it was a source of endless frustration. And I always just thought I was different. I never knew something was different about my brain. I just thought I was different. And I eventually got into sort of school systems where we could manage my differences, right? Mm -hmm. Not in the way kids are today, like my daughter had learning skills and then she has now a private tutor slash coach who works around executive function and has, she's, um, by the way, I finally got her diagnosed ADHD inattentive, which I could have predicted because she's like a little uh, sloth on the couch. I call her my little sloth. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't go anywhere. Not like her hyperactive mother who's combined yeah. type and goes from one to the other. I always joke with Cameron. I'm like, fast brain or big brain? What am I today? (laughs) So, and for people who don't know that I should explain that fast brain tends to be people who are the hyperactive element and big brain is the people who are the inattentive element. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because inattentive really is a misnomer because the the little sloth, if it's what she's interested in, can spend hours hyper-focused and delving into it. So anyway, it's fun to watch her and get to see what she gets out of the world because mm-hmm. she gets the supports that I didn't get. Mm-hmm. And I'm not whining because they just mm-hmm. didn't exist. Nobody no, it knew. Exist. Nobody right. knew that ADHD was in girls. We were just either too chatty or not paying attention and daydreaming, looking out the window. And as long as we were kind of on the quiet side, nobody cared. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got to age 50 had chemo brain and the wheels came off. And that would be the nicest thing I could say about it. Everything pretty much went to hell in a handbasket for me. And it was because the chemo brain just kicked this. And I would also say the fact that they shut down my hormones because it was um, breast cancer Mm -hmm. positive meant that literally the wheels came off. I couldn't remember words, like simple words. It was nuts. And that's when I went on this journey for me, myself, was, do I have something? Is it an executive function challenge? And really mm-hmm. kind of was in denial that it was ADHD for years. I was kind of like, I have executive function challenges. Yeah. It's ADHD. So yeah. women, let's talk about that because yeah, we're sure. both women of a certain age. <laughs> and when you become a woman of a certain age. I'm of a more certain age than you are. Slightly more certain, yes. And, but I wasn't going there dead slow. And, it's all right. Uh, and uh here we go. I'm losing the words. As we lose our estrogen, that estrogen has always been sort of like a little buffer zone for us, for our brains. And that's why so many women don't get diagnosed till they're older. So I'd love for you to speak a little bit to that. Sure. Well, and you're right. Estrogen is, is a buffer because it has great cognitive, it's supportive cognitively. 
of course, it comes and goes through the month, right? So there's right. that right, moving target and heart makes it harder to understand, especially when the research dollars and focus in ADHD has not been on girls and females at all until very recently. And this is after 25 years, at least, that I've witnessed of agitation by female professionals in the industry arguing for more. And that's just parallels the rest of the world, uh, the rest of our country, whatever, on how hard it is to get gains for women, even though they do eventually come, which is great. My ADD diagnosis story is similar to yours, but way less dramatic. I don't have I have a high intelligence, which is, I think, another great buffer, right? And I have uh, ADD and I don't have depression or anxiety, but that I didn't get diagnosed until I hit perimenopause, right? So late 30s. And I didn't have chemo and surgery and those things, but I had, uh, I was a homeowner for the first time, right? I And so I had been activists and renting and moving. And so I got to clean out my everything every time I moved and I didn't own the home. I wasn't, could call the, you know, the landlord and say plumbing or gutters or whatever. And it was very different when I owned it. And so those things really conspired to give me the kind of crisis that you had. And I kept thinking there's something else going on here. I had the advantage of my sister being diagnosed earlier and so that's what got me interested in ADD was knowing that adults could have it, which was a new idea back in the 80s and 90s. So that's how I got into it. And I think it's a it, it's just such a different pattern of onset than it is for boys and well, boys, because they it happens for them when they're boys and they turn into men eventually. But but for girls it Definitely. often <laughs> Yeah. Well, whatever. That's Enough another that. that's another podcast. Okay. So <laughs> But for girls, often, because the expectations are, in general, not as demanding for girls. You know, they're parents who think, well, if I had a driven girl who was wanted to be, you know, the Surgeon General of the United States, you know, sure, I'd back her up. But if that isn't the kind of girl you seem to have, then you there often isn't pressure to succeed academically, whereas I think there's still a lot of concern around boys and their income mm. making ability and or their get, get, getting the support they need to develop a career or profession and so a pleasing girl a, a distracted girl one who's not causing problems which is not all of them but some of them with ADD is just kind of allowed to slide and they're not it's not squeaky it's not a squeaky enough wheel where it does show up evidently is in anxiety because she's trying to please, trying to do the right thing, and it's harder. So she works harder and stays up later or, or whatever. And so anxiety tends to be the first obvious symptom of a girl, right? And then the ADD's behind that and not seen. And so it, it's a whole other thing. And anytime you hit pregnancy or or a woman has to have a hysterectomy early, right? Like they're not there, we don't have the consciousness to think to watch for ADD, you know, or to think about that much less for the girls themselves. So. And, and I was diagnosed with anxiety and, and I can look back through my whole, as long as I can remember back in my childhood as being an anxious child and wanting to please, you know, that kind of thing. And having a very intellectual family, we were very pro-education, still are. Mm -hmm. And so there were very, I was very blessed. There were very high expectations mm -hmm. for me intellectually. and. There was my brother used to joke when I went into the family business, which was Wall Street, that I was the oldest son, even though, of course, mm -hmm. 
I wasn't. And now my husband, my brother, my husband also, but my brother is very, very talented and brilliant at what he does and, and, and thriving and does something I don't understand at all. Something with computers and HR and good for him. <laughs> we need people like him in the world because I'm not one of them. So well, the world's very complicated now. Right. Yeah. And some of it's very over my head. So, but it's great. So I went into that world of Wall Street. And one of the things that happened to me, you mentioned houses, is I bought my first place and I was actually able to buy it with cash. I was very blessed. My grandfather helped me out with that. And uh, a very small apartment, but it was wonderful. And then my next one, I needed a mortgage. And I was absolutely petrified because I knew I wasn't great at bill paying. And back then you didn't have auto pay for bills. Mm -hmm. So what I would do every year, you'll love this little trick. I look back now and I look at all the tricks I created and I'm just like amazed at myself, like go me. I said it so that when I got my bonus from Wall Street, I immediately put that into my savings account. I would never touch my savings account. And I had an auto withdrawal, which was like brand new in those days, Mm -hmm. from my savings account to pay the mortgage each month. Mm -hmm. So on December 31st, whatever year, I had the mortgage prepaid for the following year. So that then I didn't have to worry about that money. I could just, Mm -hmm. you know, pay my regular bills, go have fun, do my thing, you know, and, and the mortgage was paid. And I knew, I knew you couldn't not pay the mortgage, right? I mean, that was just mission critical. So it's kind of fun to see how we look back as, and you were diagnosed much younger than I was, because I really was on that anxiety train for 20 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. I still am kind of wondering why in heaven's name, my therapist wasn't saying. I mean, I think he was so pulled over by my brilliant brain that he wasn't looking at the brain that was also really struggling. So I got lost in the cracks, but I managed and it was okay. And and, and here we are, right? Mm-hmm. So something to keep aware of as people are looking at their girls, are they super anxious? Might want to take a look at ADHD because it might be there, it might not. Uh, last story on this, Smith College Moms Group, I'm not going to say who because not appropriate, but there's a whole conversation going on right now about their kids and anxiety and how their rooms are a mess and they freak out when they have to clean their room and they don't know how to deal with it and all this stuff. And finally, some of the moms where I really saw they were saying other things, I said, I don't want to like diagnose, but I am in this world and I'm telling you there is a slim chance your kid could have ADHD would you be open to hearing more about how you could get your child tested? Great. Not my world Great. at all, not my area of expertise, but I'm just seeing things and I don't want these That's kids right. to get lost in the cracks. Yeah, one possible explanation for what I'm seeing could be, right? ADHD. Right, that's, and that's how I'm couching it really. Exactly, exactly. that's the way to do it. That's great. So yeah. it's kind of um, exciting. Now, the last thing I really want to talk about because you've just come from the ICD conference now, that's the Institute for Challenging Disorganization, is this uh, Barclay, Russell Barkley, pillar in the ADHD community, uh, was talking in one of your presentations about life expectation. When we talk too fast, this is what happens. Life expectancy. I can't, still can't say it. Life yeah, expectancy. expectancy. You were on the you were on the way. Yeah. And ADHD. Right. <laughs> if you could do that, that'd be great. Yeah. So Russell Barkley is a hero of the ADHD professional field, and he back in the eighties and nineties there was this huge push to say ADHD didn't exist. It was a made up disorder, and that. It was driven by pharmaceutical companies who wanted to put everybody on stimulant medications. And many of the professionals in the field 
stood up to speak to the reality of ADHD, the psychiatrist and psychologist, but no one more than him. No one was more committed to it. And so he's beloved, even though he's kind of a cranky guy. Uh, he's gotten so much better. Yeah. He's, he's, frankly, I used to find him arrogant. And I would, as I made friends of, of other colleagues professionally, you know, who, who were, you know, I'm a coach, they were psychiatrists, psychologists, but I would say, you know, he'd come up because he does. And I'd say, he's just so arrogant. I just hate people like that. And they'd say, they wouldn't argue. And they'd say, um, yes, but we owe him so much. And then they go on to explain it. And when I went to get diagnosed, I actually was grilling the therapist in this rural part of Missouri I live in now, you know, to see if he knew anything about ADD. And as usual, those therapists are a psychologist, you know, they don't really want to answer questions that sort of people put forward in my experience. But he finally said, listen, I was trained by Barclay. Like that, like to him, that said everything he needed to say. Well, I wasn't wild about Barclay, his personality, but I did understand that he was really knew what he was talking about. And and he does because he's he has for 28 years taken all the research anywhere in the world on ADHD or anything related to the parts of the brain or the whatever that affects ADHD. And analyzes it and puts out the a guide you know month after month uh, analyzing this research for its usefulness and he's just astonishing that way and i i got the privilege of introducing him at this conference and so i told that story of how i used to think about him and then and then i also told the story the first time i heard him speak on this he had a slide that i just loved and but it was really crowded, like his slides tend to be. And, and so I redesigned it and I wanted to share it with my students. And I wrote him so cautiously and carefully and briefly and, you know, whatever, to say who I was and say what I wanted to do with it and ask him if the paragraphs I'd pulled together from things I understood about ADD, if they were accurate and please correct me and what do you think? And, and I thought I'm going to never hear from him or you know, whatever. And in, in 21 minutes, I got the answer. I forget exactly, but it was like, this slide looks great. Good luck in your work. It's great to see you doing this. Russ, best wishes, Russ. And I thought, wow, Russell Barkley thinks I'm Russ. That's so good. You know, <laughs> so now he's my pal, right? So, um, yeah, so that was really fun to introduce him and, uh, and do that. And he was sweet about it, which was nice. So anyway, what he has done is he's been part of, he's, he's analyzed some research that he was paying a lot of attention to, and he pulled together other relevant research and determined that the challenges that ADHD gives us in general, people with ADHD in general, the executive functioning challenges result in, and we've heard this before, right, delay, difficulty with delaying gratification, right, with being conscientious, especially in areas where our there isn't great stimulation or interest. We might do it if we're like desperate to go on a fly a, or yeah, fly a plane around the world. You know, we might say someone who loves that so much would save for that maybe, but we just aren't good at delaying gratification in general or self-regulating is it would be another way. And it's, you know, again, not everybody, but generally all of us in many ways have this. And then we also aren't surprised, right, to hear that ADHD has the strongest correlation of any mental health condition to injury and emergency room visits, right, including traumatic brain injury, which further complicates the cognition, right, and also the highest 
relationship to teen pregnancy because of impulsivity, right? So the risk-taking, the maybe for some, the coordination isn't there or the risk-taking is enough to get them in the emergency room, right? Or the impulsivity around sex and not being careful, you know, to go get a condom or whatever, you know, so teen pregnancy, so all, all that, right? And people with ADHD are more likely to be successful in suicide attempts than people who don't have ADHD. So all this is set up to be a factor for certainly young people, right? And people as they go too. So then there's all these other health conditions which are impacted by conscientious self-care and the the health conditions are, you know, rampant and I can't, I'm not sure I would name them, but, you know, diabetes or quitting smoking or quitting drinking or heart conditions or on and on, right? So there are these factors, there's nine factors, he, he explained, that can affect your expected life span, right? And they're how much education you got, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore how much income and ADHD can get in the way of that, right? There's Maintaining a healthy weight, ADD can be a problem there. Eat good nutrition, exercise, enough sleep, right? Driving safely, not smoking, not using alcohol, and just the general current health that you have. If you get sick and do you wait to recover before you go out, like with COVID or the flu or anything, right? So bad habits, if you want to say it that way, difficulty with behavioral inhibition, right? It is a factor in all these things. And therefore, our life expectancy, people with ADDs in general, life expectancy compared to people without it is 11 years less. I mean, 11 years less, right? And that's not true for everybody. I mean, I don't smoke and I don't have problems with drinking and I drive pretty safely, you know, but not so much the other things. I I got good education, right? That's good. But do you see, it's like I'm, I know I should be care- more careful about my weight or more, right? And But I have a lot of trouble doing it. it. It's even hard for me to even get interested in a plan to eat in a more healthy way. I mean, I love healthy food, but I love all food, frankly. But just to eat in a more healthy way is, is really hard for me to even think that it's worth looking for a, di- a kind of diet to go on right. or a kind of lifestyle. I've done it a few times, but it's just really hard. So this really is alarming news. The other thing he said is that of all conditions, there's no other condition that is has as bad, a, you know, a number bigger than 11. I mean, they're all way less. No other mental health condition and no other mental health condition across the board is as treatable as ADHD. We have great drugs for it and great strategies. Not everybody can use drugs. I mean, there's that whole titration and which one, or maybe a heart condition, so you can't. But this is, above all conditions, has medication that works for it and strategies that work for it, right? So that was his message. And I hope I did it service. You know, hope I made it clear enough. It's to do that. Oh, is that a cat? Yes. What the hell is that? Okay. Yeah. That's very, <laughs> it's my cat. Very pro cat. Yeah. That's good. She's a riot. Yeah. Anyway, nothing like a little distraction in the middle of yeah. everything. So I know that was distracting, but did that make sense to you, or is there any part of it that I need to explain? No, I think it all better? makes perfect sense. It's it's really it's kind of disheartening 
that there are so many people out there. I mean, I look back and I was very well educated. I was very, very blessed in that regard. I certainly grew up on healthy food. I love not so healthy food and I try not to eat too much of it. We're back watching really carefully Mm -hmm. what we eat because I'm getting middle-aged spread no matter what I do. (laughs) Darn it. And and we're not really drinkers, although I was. I probably self-medicated long before uh, I... I knew better. And, and that's just something I I just want to quickly throw all that together with this, which is to go back to that essential structures thing that we talked about earlier, which is taking care of your health, taking care of your wellness and well-being is a huge part of essential structures and crucial for ADHD. So if, if a person's listening and wants to be better and they think they have ADHD, one of the things you can look and start with is how well you take care of yourself. Yes, that's right. Now, I would say a hyperactive subtype, right, or combined is in better shape than we inattentives, which I am as your daughter is, right? Because they have a need to go move. And that at least gives them a likelihood of wanting exercise or of getting it tangentially to the impulse to move. Right. And so for inattentives, the issues around, frankly, eating and absolutely exercise, but eating because you're not busy doing something, you're sitting there probably near the kitchen, right? So there you are. Yeah. And I, and I find that the most important thing I can do, and it feeds everything. It's so fun. I'm doing this and coaching the ADHD client right now as in my SVG, my skills building group, we're talking about this is when I exercise, everything else falls naturally in place. Yeah. I eat healthier. I maybe meditate more. I slow down. I focus better, everything. Mm -hmm. So my my foundation is actually the exercise. The last thing I want to say on this is that I know people who have hyperactive or combined type who then do things to get that dopamine high, like jump out of airplanes. So yeah. it's <laughs> so exercise, there is, there but is on the other hand, yeah, the ER room thing is possible. Element, you know, where they're <laughs> running triathlons and things like this, where, right. yeah, you know, yeah. that could be good for you, but might not. So- well. It's just something to keep in mind that, you know, we're all sort of at risk if we're not Mm -hmm. paying attention to how we take care of ourselves, whatever that looks like for the individual. Yeah. So one thing would be, there's also the possibility of becoming addicted to exercise. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. that's another addiction that people are vulnerable to. And again, our impulse control, if that's your thing, but one of the things I really work on with people, and I know you've no doubt hit this because I've drummed it into your head and you knew it already, which is that people need strategy systems that are customized to them. And I like to say that the payoff needs to be greater than the effort to do it. And that's, it's hard to find a system that is simple enough to do or has a simple version because those of us whose minds go, right, want to, if we're going to set up a habit or a system or a strategy or you know, a food plan or whatever, we like want to go all all the way. We see all the possibilities of this, like, you know, attaching all kinds of other good behaviors to it or something. And it's really critical that there's a very simple version of a plan that feels very doable, especially in contrast to the payoff, that the payoff seems way bigger than this minimal approach to that strategy. And And then if you want to add more, if you have it in you that day to do more on that strategy, great, but that you have an understanding of what the easiest 
way to do the minimum on it. The I like to call it the minimum mandatory, right. you know, routine. And so I think that that's a, and that it's really quite unique to people that it suits their, uh, feels clever or feels interesting, or it, if it's a modality that they enjoy, it includes a small dance. If they like to dance, you know, whatever it is, you know, right. or a song or who knows what, right. And so that, that really often help, it helps to have a coach or a, someone to talk that through in anyone, even try anyone, but then if that doesn't work, try a coach, you know, to create that doable minimum mandatory strategy that will help you get more payoff than the effort for the strategy. Right. Right. So I typically end with a productivity pointer, and I think you just gave it to us, which is this idea that make sure that when you're creating a new habit that it has, and then by the way, if you want to do a different one, it's fine, but make sure you have a habit that is simple, that's not trying to be all the things. It doesn't have to be the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's right. Yeah. And yet it has room for you to do those things if you're so inclined, right? And I guess the other thing about a a habit or system that, you know, that we're in the context of Barclay's talk is supporting you in making better lifestyle choices, health style choices, whatever, is that the thing about developing a system that works is again that it's there's a simple version that the payoff is greater than the effort and that that you have support to someone to talk to for when it derails so that you can not go kind of in this cul-de-sac off ramp of there another system failed what did i expect you know blah 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 where you just give up on it but go into how do I start? Just start again. How to how to start again without going there? Because even people who are whatever people are who are really really good at all these things and can do them easily, you know, they'll get the flu, or they'll have someone in the ER, or they'll have some ADD friend, or they'll have you know a huge holiday that gets in the way, or a vacation that gets in the way. They have to start again as well. But we think of them as just being perfect at it easily. And the thing about having a habit that stays with you is starting again and yeah. not getting lost in self-recrimination, right? So. Absolutely. And that could be a whole nother podcast just on RSD, you know, rejection, <laughs> sensitivity, dysphoria is a whole other one, which we're not going to yeah. do because we're going to be good and we're going to yeah, not right. be little squirrels running continue. off to the next break. We're going to be self-disciplined and self-regulated. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of overrated, but still. So anyway, I am thrilled you came on today. It is so great to have you here because you are my mentor and I'm loving Coach Approach and all the things I'm learning amongst them, how to be a better listener. Hence why I was able to pull out the word habits. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Very grateful to you. You're welcome. Proud of you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM.
Women's Voices Amplified.